You're listening to Run Hard, Mom Hard, presented by Treeline Journal and hosted by Nikki Parnell and Steph Moniker. We're here to listen and share stories of motherhood and life from the trails from mamas who run ultra marathons. We hope to be a resource and encouragement to all moms who continue to show up, run, and chase their dreams even after having kids. It's not easy, and we'll talk about all the hard and real parts that make up this crazy lifestyle. But we're also here to celebrate and inspire each other to keep finding their inner mom strength that allows us to show this sport new levels of grit and show our kids that so much is possible. Welcome to another episode of Run Hard, Mom Hard. Today, we have on the podcast Haley Fisher out of Texas. Before we talk more about her, Steph, what is going on with you this week? Well, I went to a Trail Sisters meeting on Sunday, and they had a Hoka ambassador there, and so um, we got to try on some of their new shoes and they also had hiking boots and I think a new backpack that they're testing out. Um, and so it was really fun just to like get together with, with a bunch of ladies and, um, we went on a run and that felt really, really good to just like go running with a group. Cause I feel like I never run with people and, yeah. and they're just all so talkative and welcoming. I mean, it was the first time that I had went out there. Um, and I'm hoping to kind of do some more, of that. They try and meet like once a month for a group run there. Um, so that would be kind of nice to get together. And I met a listener and she was like, Oh, your stuff, you're from like run hard, mom hard. I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Talking that she had, um, listened to the Amanda Basham episode and that she follows her and that's how she found us. And so it was kind of fun to, you know, meet a real life listener. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, totally. Oh, that's fun. Mm -hmm. How far away was that, um, group run from you? Um, it was 35 minutes, I think. So not awful, but yeah, I mean, everything around here, it's like 20 minutes to the grocery store, you know, a lot of driving. Right. Yeah. But that would be so fun to do that regularly. Yeah. Cause it does make such a difference to run with people. I know. I mean, yeah. And your soul just feels lighter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the women that I talked to at least were all moms. And so it was kind of fun to talk about like how we like train while the kids are little and how training has kind of evolved since they've gotten bigger. And mm-hmm. um one was saying that like she's had a broken treadmill, but she doesn't really mind it because she wants to get out as much as possible. And I was like, my treadmill's like my lifeline. Like I have <laughs> I have to have a treadmill for running during naps or stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So Mm, that's uh, cool. And so did you like any of the Hoka shoes? They just had one. Um, and I actually didn't get to run in them because they were all out, but in my size, by the time I got there, they only had like a six and a half and I wear eights, um, in shoes, running shoes. So cool. Yeah. I love them. I, I have, I run in the challengers or yeah. Hoka challengers. Okay. That sounds wrong to me, but I think that's what it is. Yeah. They're great. I love them. They're like a good mix between like trail and road 
you know, yeah. they're light and springy, but they also, but they're not too grippy for the yeah. trail. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what about you? Oh, um, things are good. I am, you know, increasing mileage, which feels good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, so my first race coming up is run the rock half marathon in November. Yes. And it's a trail race at Smith rock state park and which is beautiful place. And it goes up misery Ridge, which is like my favorite trail. It's very steep. And so it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's definitely going to be a slow Mm -hmm. half marathon, but it'll be really fun just to get back in the spirit. Like I just signed up for it. So kind of excited. And um, I think this weekend on my training plan is like a 12 mile run. And then the next day, like an eight mile run. <laughs> and I'm just like, Whoa, you know, that's a lot of mileage for me in one weekend, let alone a week, like, you know, coming off of pregnancy where it's like, you start run walking and then, and then you kind of start running and it's like your mileage is maybe, <laughs> 10 or 12 miles for the week or something. And then all of a sudden it bumps up and it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. I feel like my body's responding. So that feels nice. Um, and just fun having a plan, but, but yeah, I think that's up for me. So this episode is sponsored again by Treeline Coffee. They are a women-owned business out of Bozeman, Montana. They ethically source all of their coffee beans and they roast them and they're amazing. It is the best coffee in the whole world. We drink it every single day and um, we have our very own run hard mom hard blend called you got this and you can get your very own bag of our blend using the link in the show notes below and you can use code run hard 10 for 10 percent off yes you should definitely check it out it is so good and it is a constant fuel for us who are in i mean for anyone but i mean steph and i we are in this crazy no sleep stage of three kid life and we're trying to survive every day and thrive so yeah check it out like i said today on the show we have haley fisher she is awesome mm-hmm. <laughs> she was a collegiate runner and now she is an athlete counselor She works with athletes and their mental health. And we talk all about all kinds of things that all of us, I'm I'm kind of guaranteeing that pretty much all of us struggle with um, these certain kind of issues, things like self-talk and um, confidence and motivation and how to find our identity outside of sports. Um, We also talk about some of the things Haley has struggled with and how she's overcome things from an eating disorder to recent uh, birth trauma that she's been through and just like how her motherhood's been so far. And we talk about all the, all the good stuff. Give this episode a listen. If you like us could use help with mental training skills and, and just for our running and for life in general. 
Hi, Haley. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, we're so excited to talk to you all about well, your life and what you do. Do you mind giving us a little short intro on who you are and what you do? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I am a wife, a mom, a new mom, a first-time mom. Um, I'm an, a counselor. I specialize in athlete mental health. And I'm a runner. I recently started trail running a couple of years ago. I used to run D1 in college. And then I'm also an artist. And so for a while, I had a side business selling art. Oh, oh that's cool. cool. What kind of art? Yeah. And so they, so I did a lot of hand lettering. And, and then I also did these kind of like, they were watercolors. And so they were watercolors of places people went to. And they were almost like cartoonish a little bit, like whimsical whimsical and like cartoonish. Um, and so, yeah. Oh, fun. I know. Fun hobby. I know. Yeah. I like um, to hear people's like outlets that like besides running and you know, what they like to create. I bet, do you have any of your art like in your son's room or anything? I actually don't have any in his room. We have a little bit of it hanging up in our house, but I usually just give it away or it gets put in a box somewhere or something, but yeah, yeah. you don't sell it anymore. No. Well, I will if somebody like contacts me specifically, but when I opened my own business a couple of years ago for counseling, it became really hard like it just felt like I would go to work and then I'd come home and I needed to work on something different that was creative and fun, but was also like, okay, I'm just working all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. I know that's hard. Yeah. Very hard. Even if it was a passion before, I mean, yes. it, like it still is maybe, but still everything kind of turns into work at some point. Yeah. yeah. When life gets busy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And it was also like, I was really um, committed, like when I would do these and they were custom for people, like I would be like writing them cards and like the things that like, I was thinking about them or praying for them while I was making these like pictures for them. And so that was like really important to me. And that became really difficult to do, like in the midst of all of it as well. And so without that component, it was, it just felt like another job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and so how did you find running and can you tell us a little bit more about like what it was like being a collegiate runner and all that good stuff? Yeah. So I grew up and I just, I played a lot of sports growing up from the time I was like four. Um, and mostly there were ball sports. I played like softball and baseball and basketball. And that was kind of like the goal was like, okay, like I played on competitive teams. I was like, I'm going to go to college to play softball. And I was just not like, I was in middle school and I was, you know, like barely four feet tall. Like I was just a very, I looked like I was four years younger than everybody around me. And I remember I was trying, I was, we were in track practice and I was trying to do the sprints and the distance coach was just like, I think you'd be a better distance runner. (laughs) And I absolutely hated it. I was like, man, this is like taking so long, but I was such a people pleaser that I didn't want to tell him no. And so I ran in middle school and then in high school, like I still kept running and somewhere along the way, like, cause I was playing a lot of other sports. I went to a small high school where 
everybody played multiple sports. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere along the way, I was like, I'm not even really like trying and I'm doing like really well, like what would happen if I tried? Um, And so I kind of just, I wasn't having as fun, much fun in the other sports anymore. So I stopped playing so many and just focused on running and found that it was like pretty successful. And then when it came to college running, my senior year, I was having a really good season, but I also developed an eating disorder. So mm-hmm. my scholarship offers kind of got, they got pulled um, because I was pretty sick. And so actually I didn't go to college to run until a year and a half after I graduated. So I ended up going to a different college and was just focusing on academics. And when I started to recover from my eating disorder, decided like, hey, like I really would like to give this a shot again. So I just started reaching out to a bunch of schools and seeing like, hey, does anybody still have interest um, in this? And I did end up going to a a smaller D1 school. They're like a bowl school instead of, um, or a championship school instead of like a bowl school. They're like double A or triple A or whatever it's called. Um, And so I ran there and that was an interesting experience. I think sometimes college athletics can, um, I was still really struggling with an eating disorder. So my performance wasn't super great there, but also sometimes the perform, it can be more focused on, it doesn't matter what's happening to your body or your mental health or really anything like other than you're on a scholarship and you're here to perform. And it just really kind of eroded the fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not the best environment. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. no. Well, and so I'm, I'm wondering if you were still, were you still like, um, such a people pleaser at that point? Like, was that part of like, what made you keep going? Um, um so I was, and I gradually like throughout my time there. So I did end up doing four years there. Cause I, when I transferred the school that I was at um, before just working on academics, didn't have a cross country team or a track team. And so when you transfer from a school like that, um, really your eligibility, you haven't lost any, you don't have to sit out or things like that. Um, And so it was really determined like, okay, like you can basically just do like, you still have four years to perform here. Um, And so over that four years, I started to definitely become less of a people pleaser, finding less of my identity in like competing and performing. And so actually my last, uh, my last year, middle of cross country season, I just said, I can't do this anymore. This is not healthy for me. And this is not an environment I want to be in. And I just, I left and I took a year off from running. Well, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Take, you know, your it takes a lot to say like, okay, no, I'm going to take my mental like health over finishing this thing. Yeah. 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 Cause I also found it very difficult to maintain and to commit to the type of recovery I wanted to from my eating disorder while I was Mm -hmm. in that environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, my coach had an eating disorder himself and promoted eating disorders on the team. A lot of the team men and women, both had eating disorders. You know, we were weighed, we were body comp tested on a monthly basis. There were just so many aspects that it was very, very difficult as I was trying to recover to stay in that environment. It makes me sad. Yeah, it was, it was really unfortunate. 
Uh, and so what, when did you kind of like, feel like you needed to, like you wanted to recover and you didn't want to keep like this cycle perpetuating? Yeah, I think it was really, it had been building like, before I went to school there, I had started like kind of, I had started the recovery process. Um, but it was really, it was like, I'll recover this much, right? I won't recover totally, but I'm willing to do these things. Um, I'm willing enough to be healthy enough that somebody will let me run at their school. Hmm. And then while I was there, I ended up with two stress fractures in the span of, um, in 2012, I got one at the beginning of the season and then one um, like six months later and one was in my foot and the other one was in my hip. And I just remember thinking like the one in my hip, especially just really affected like the quality of life. Like it hurt to sleep, like it hurt to walk. And I just remember thinking like, I'm doing this to myself mm-hmm. and I don't want to keep doing this to myself. Yeah. Yeah. No. And at that point, were you studying like sports psychology type stuff? I actually wasn't. So I originally went to college in the first college I was at, I was studying uh, dietetics, which is really like some nutrition, which is really like common for people with eating disorders to like focus on that. Mm -hmm. And so when I transferred schools, it was, I really feel like a blessing. Like I, I was told like, oh, all your stuff will transfer and it'll be just fine. But the school I transferred from had like a very specialty, like dietetics program. They're very widely known for it. And so when I transferred, they didn't have a specialty program. And so it was more like you go and you do like biochem major. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I got there, it was like, well, your class is like half transfer and half don't like, you got to retake all your chemistry. Like, (laughs) then I just kind of focused on, um, I had a minor in, um, and, uh, kinesiology and I, stayed within the department that they had nutrition, which they had it in kind of like this family and consumer science department. Mm -hmm. So I did more of a general degree there where I had a focus on nutrition. I had a lot of nutrition classes, but I also took like interior design classes and fashion design classes and family classes. So it's kind of like a home economics major almost. (laughs) Um, But my focus is in nutrition. So I had a lot of like upper level, like dietetic classes. Um, and my original plan was then to graduate and to get my master's in exercise science after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was misadvised. And so I missed a class and I started at that time, start, had started thinking like, I really interested in athletes and athletics. And I was a part of the athletic program. And I just realized like, everybody is struggling here. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like the mom of the team, right? Like somebody had a bad race and my coach was like, go talk to Haley, like go, you know, and people that's just, I felt like what I was known for was like talking with people and creating more of a healthy environment and, uh, compassion and encouraging people. And so I was thinking like, I can coach, but I'm not super interested in like the numbers of that and the winning aspect of that. And so I started thinking like, well, what am I interested in? And I saw the gap also in care for mental health, like whether it was, you know, for my teammates or other athletes, that there was a big gap in mental health. And that's when I really started thinking like, okay, I want to be a counselor. I want to advocate. I want to figure out ways to bring awareness and programming and planning um, that athletes do have the mental health that the resources they need. That's awesome. 
I know. <laughs> it's so, I mean, I was just going to say, I love that you like piece it all together. Like how, you know, being a mom and then you're like, oh, well, I should maybe just go for like the mental health of the group collective. <laughs> right. I know. Like you saw it in your own life and then just made it, you know, you followed that, which is good. And, you know, that's just kind of like a reminder that like the dots in our life connect even if we're kind of confused at the time as to like, okay, like you missed a class, you know, like, oh, well, you know, what now? And I don't know, all of that stuff you had to go through, like probably felt kind of like a struggle, I'm sure, while you were going through it. Yeah, definitely. And I think at that time I was also like, I never really knew what I wanted to do. Like I've always had very broad interests. I remember my freshman year of college going to the career counselor and taking a career counseling test and him being like, you really scored in the middle of a lot of things. Like you're just not like, it's like, I don't know if you're like super passionate about things, but you're really interested in a lot of things. Um, and I think like at the, like, I'm interested in learning, I'm interested in people. And, um, so it was really cool to just kind of be like, okay, I'm just taking the next step and eventually I'll figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> that is so me. I'm just thankful you said that because that's totally how I am. I'm interested in everything. And I just don't, I still don't know what I ultimately want to do with my life. <laughs> yeah, no. And I still, sometimes I'm like, well, I could, I'd be really interested in doing this too. And I also laugh because, and this is just a funny like side story, like about those career aptitude tests, like in my master's program, any type of assessment or test that you give somebody, you have to take it first for yourself. Um, so we did the career one and everybody in my master's class is like, <clears throat> my number one career choice pick that it came back with was counselor. And the next one was, you know, like all these helping professions and mine came back bartender for the number one choice. Oh my God. <laughs> bartender. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> Like, well, I'm here, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hey, you know, maybe that's like really good. Like it's good to, to kind of have a broad, you know, mix of like interests and stuff. Just, you can connect with more people if you, you know, yeah. So yeah. it's good. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm kind of wondering, I mean, I'd love to like touch on some of the things that you do in as a counselor for athletes. And we're, we were kind of wondering um, maybe what you notice people struggling with the most, um, what they come to you for usually. And yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So some of the areas that I work a lot with would be um, like motivation, goal setting, um, people who are looking to figure out like new mental or sports psychology skills, like um, self-talk and um, reframing visualization. But I also work a lot with, with that concepts of like athletic identity. And so people who are finding like their self-worth is wrapped up in, in their athletics and um, people who are injured and they're struggling with injury and um, athletes that have eating disorders and body image issues and then anxiety and depression. And so a lot of times what I see people first come in with um, would be more it's usually related to sports. So it's usually like I'm performing below what I know that I can, um, or I'm feeling really anxious or I got hurt. 
or um, I do get a lot of eating disorder referrals for athletes. The athlete themselves is usually not the one that's coming, but it's usually like a parent or a coach that's sending them. Um, and it's usually after they've had sustained some sort of bone injury and the physical therapist has been like, you, this is not going to get any better till you eat. Um, and so what I really like is that oftentimes people come in more focused on, I want to be a better athlete. So teach me these skills on how I can be a better runner. So teach me how to reframe my thoughts and to think differently. And what it really then starts to be is we get into like the deeper things of, well, you talk to yourself negatively, not just when it comes to running, but you talk to yourself negatively all day long. Um, and so that's been really cool because it's, I've gotten to help people more like holistically as people. And I think when we're happy people and we're taking care of those aspects of our mental health and just our regular everyday lives, then that transfers over to like when we're a runner or we're whatever type of athlete we are. And, and so that's kind of what I've seen the most in counseling. That's so awesome. Those are like really practical, you know, you, yeah, just dealing with things little tips that you can tell people to just kind of reset. I mean, yeah, Steph and I try and talk about that all the time, just, and we were talking about like confidence last week and, and just like how we can like stop getting in our way, uh, you know, like self-sabotage and, and just, you know, the downward spirals of, I don't know. Yeah. I guess, I guess maybe kind of what you were saying like earlier with like, um, maybe like having self-worth wrapped up in how you're performing and, or just in life, how you're, you know, you are as a mom or <laughs> in your professional life or whatever. Um, what kind of stuff do you talk about with like self-talk? Like, how do you, how do you help people actually be kinder to themselves? Cause it's really hard to like dig yourself out of that hole. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, that's one of the things that I love about counseling, whether that's working specifically with like runners or whoever is that, you know, as runners, there is some degree of like limit to like our genetics, like, you know, what our bodies are capable of physically, but, and so some people are able to, you know, run these high mileage and other people just, they're not able to, but everybody's able to work on like the same mental skills and everybody can grow in them. Um, and so that's really cool to me because, you know, like things, like you said, like confidence, people think of confidence as like, oh, it's a feeling, but confidence is a skill that you can learn and grow in. Mm -hmm. And so the ways I kind of go about helping people changing their self-talk is I want to give them practical skills on like, how do we reframe this self-talk? But also I think about it as a tree, right? So when you come in and you see the fruit of the tree, like I've got negative self-talk, a lot of people just want to get rid of that. So it's like picking the fruit off the tree. And so we've got these coping skills for it. So I can reframe my self-talk. And so that basically just means I'm changing it. It doesn't have to be changed to something overly positive, but something that's more like neutral and like growth oriented. And so instead of like, I'm the worst runner ever, instead of being like, I'm the best runner ever, like it could be more like, I struggled today, but I can grow and I can get better. Right. Like that's, um, that's more realistic. And those things are helpful, like reframing that positive, that, that self-talk. But what ultimately I want to help people do is get to the root of the tree of like, why are you saying negative things about yourself in the first place? Mm -hmm. And, and that actually I see leads to a lot longer term change. 
And so it's kind of twofold. Like we've got, we learned skills on oh, how, how do I address specifically changing what I want to change while also looking at the underlying beliefs and what's causing that. I bet a lot comes up yeah. <laughs> when you're, when you're unpacking that. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're really, like you were saying, it's not just about like the athletic part of that person. Like it's really the entire person that you're looking at and they don't even realize that it's affecting like all areas of their life. I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, and then it's like, there's probably, you know, I mean, there's history, like your personal history, your family history, trauma, potentially like, you know, it could just, yeah. Why we are the way that we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's discovering a lot. And so one of the interesting activities I have people do is they fill out this like thought and feeling journal um, and I have them fill it out both for like, uh, after they complete a run or whatever activity they're doing. And then also for some part of just their like everyday life. And whenever people start turning these in and we start looking at the thoughts they have, it doesn't matter if they're running or they're, you know, being a parent or they're at their job. Like a lot of their talk there's to themselves is very similar. Hmm. And so they're able to start seeing then like, this is a theme across lots of areas of my life. And that's where, like you were saying, we can start getting into like, well, where did this come from? Like, whoever told you that, like, where did that, where did that belief come from that you started operating out of? Mm -hmm. And then do you kind of like, you know, attack that lie that they're believing and just move on in a, in a positive way, like try and kind of quiet that voice. (laughs) Yes. So then we work on like addressing, like, how do we change that lie? How do we make it? And how do we change it to something that's more accurate and true, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's really difficult. And that I think is where a lot of people get frustrated with counseling. And so there is, I think this is also important to talk about the differences between counseling and just like sports psychology, like in sports psychology, if you're not like Um, like if somebody is just marketing as a sports psychologist, they're really not supposed to do like that deeper work. It's much more like, let's just practice the skills, Mm -hmm. um, like the reframing, the positive self-talk. Um, but as a counselor, we really do look at a lot of other skills and the deeper things as well. Um, but people get, I think counseling can be hard because you get down into those deep things. And, you know, if I've, been living my life for the last uh, 20 years, like with this underlying belief, it doesn't just change overnight. And it takes a lot of time and work to make that change happen. Mm -hmm. And that can be really slow and frustrating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have both your counselor and sports psychologist, so you can offer that deeper thing to so yes, so I am a counselor, so I'm licensed professionally by the state of Texas. And then um, I don't have a degree in psychology, but you can take classes through, um, oh gosh, the American like association. Like you can be basically like a mental, it's a certification you can get like through uh, the sports psychology. So I've just taken classes like For sure. CE, things like that. Yeah. Well, it helps that you're also an athlete. So you have like experience and you have experience like digging yourself out of different holes too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, speaking of that, um, like what are, what kind of, can I ask what kind of struggles you tend to, or have struggled with, uh, like mentally and like how you've done work on yourself to overcome some of that. I mean, it's so cool that you study this and can apply it to your own life. I'm just wondering about that. Yeah. yeah. So I think miss definitely the biggest kind of like underlying theme was that I really struggled a lot with like my worth being in my performance, whether that was like athletically or academically, like that I derived a lot of my self-value from that. And with that was a very like perfectionistic, like I have to do this well, and I have to do it correctly at the beginning. And, um, that led to a lot of, a lot of success as a runner. It also led to an eating disorder. And it also led to when I (laughs) didn't perform well to be really struck, to really struggle, um, with my self-worth, but because I wasn't performing well. And like, did I matter? Like, would people still care about me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now, like, that's not really, like, I know where my worth lies. Like, I know it has nothing to do with my performance, but I do still feel that like self-criticism voice and that perfectionistic voice, um, whether it's being a mom or like being an athlete still, or even owning my own business about like, I just want to do things really well. And it's very hard for me when I'm not doing them well. And especially if I don't feel like I'm doing them up to my potential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I feel that a lot. And it's always, it'd be interesting to kind of find out like where that comes from, or if there's other women out there or people in general out there that have those kinds of feelings on the perfectionism. I think you wrote an article or you contributed an article on perfectionism. Yes. I wrote an article. Yes. Wrote an article. Yeah. So your article was about how perfectionism hurts your performance. And I mean, are there other tricks that other than what you've kind of like mentioned on how to like stop that spiral going down? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things to do is like, there are so many skills that we can learn and we can talk about, but like actually putting that into practice and experiencing it, I think is one of the most helpful things. I always tell people we can talk all day long about how scary it is to get on the elevator and how you don't have to worry about it, but nothing changes your brain quite like getting on the elevator and realizing like you're, you're okay. Mm-hmm. And so with perfectionism, I think it's super important to like reframe our thoughts, like really a lot of perfectionism does come from this struggle with identity and worth and value. And so really trying to dig into that and um, explore that, you know, with friends on your own, with a therapist, whoever, and then like putting yourself in situations where, you know, like, I'm not going to be able to do this perfectly and allowing yourself to experience that and to work through it, deal with it, grow from it. Um, and to realize like, Hey, at the end of the day, everybody still loves me and I'm just fine. And next week, nobody cares what race I ran. Like they might not even care by two hours after it. Like, right. 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 Yeah. Well, I, I did like one thing you were saying, and I think it was maybe in that article, although it could have been a different one. (laughs) Um, you've written a lot of great articles and we're definitely going to link to your website and, you know, where people can find your, your work. But, um, you were kind of talking about, uh, failure 
and kind of redefining what it means to fail and how we actually have to be failing in order to grow and, and succeed. Like if you're not, then if you're not failing, you're not doing it right almost. Um, and just kind of like seeing setbacks as an opportunity, an opportunity to grow instead of, um, something that's like pushing you down. (laughs) And, um, I don't know what, what about failure? Um, can you tell us? (laughs) I mean, I think so many people like that seems to be the key component that's holding them back is this fear of failure and like trying to dive into like, what does failure mean? Like, what do you think is going to happen? Like if you do fail, you know, like, and failure is such a funny thing because it's so, um, it's so broad, right? Like each of us has a different definition of failure, like, and then each of us also has a different definition of failure, like throughout our whole days, like based on my mood, like all yeah. kinds of stuff. Right. And so it isn't a great measure to measure anything by because it's so, so broad and ever changing. And, and really like failure becomes, I think the obstacle that keeps people from like flourishing. It keeps them from seeing like what they actually could do, like from what in some cases, you know, like what they're actually made to do, like what they would thrive and enjoy the most in their life. And it's really hard because I think failure is also, people are so scared of it. And yet they're also sometimes so dissatisfied with like, well, I'm, you know, I'm so far below like where I want to perform, like with running, but they're also not willing to fail or the potential to fail. And so they're actually, that's, what's holding them back. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's hard though. You know, it's hard to, um, kind of get past that. And it's definitely hard to not, I don't know, like, yeah, really like take it in yourself and, and just, I don't know, like what, like your, the thing you said about, um, you know, like your definition of failure can change when you're in a certain mood. It's like, gosh, like it's, if you're having a bad day, it's like, everything sucks. Life sucks. It's all hard. You're not good at anything. You should just stop trying. Right. And I think that's where we get confused a lot that my feelings are what's like accurate or truth. Right. So I tell people feelings are not facts, like Mm -hmm. feelings are not reflecting reality, but that's, so easy to say and so hard, especially in the moment to like, be able to untangle those things and to see and believe. Well, and it's kind of like the weather versus the climate, like (laughs) the weather changes on a daily basis, but the climate like overall is kind of like what you're looking at. And I just think it's crazy that like so much of your mental, like your brain can block you from so many things where it's like, come on, like, I feel like it should just be easy to like get through that, but it's just like, it's just your thoughts that are like blocking you like, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. And like, what, what is the line between like how much physical training can get you to where you want to go and mental training can get you to where you want to go? Because I feel like the, yeah, the mind really. Right. And that's like so hard because it, you you really don't know what the, you know, what the difference are because they are so intertwined. Like Mm -hmm. 
where the mind is actually preventing you. Like sometimes there's like a clear, like this, is, the mind is like what's stopping you, but other times it's, you really don't know which is the limiting factor. Yeah. Oh. And so I think that's where it's really important where I really encourage people. It's important to work on both of them. And of course, we're not going to put in like the same amount of time, typically like to the mental training, like you don't need to put in, you know, an hour every day or whatever it is like equal to like how much you're putting in to like running, but even taking like five minutes a day or five minutes, like three times a day really does help. And the brain is a really cool thing too, where it adapts quickly. And as you create new neural pathways, like first you practice them and then they become ingrained. And so like taking like five minutes a day, do you mean to kind of be like talking to yourself, like, you know, telling yourself what you are, are hoping to change in your brain? Like, instead of believing this lie, you're moving towards, you know, or like reframing growth or affirmations or like what, you know, what is a great way to use those five minutes? Yeah. (laughs) I think the number one way would just be kind of like a journal, like a mental, a mental strength training journal, where basically you write down, like, this is what I did. These, this is how I felt physically, you know, like the data points, this is what my goal was. And then these were all the thoughts I had when I was doing it. And here's something that I could grow from, um, because I do think it's important to still have like that growth mindset. And then here are all the things I did well, and here's my goal for next time. And then if you do have time, you can go back and look at those thoughts and see if any of them need to be reframed. And so that that's about five minutes or could be about five minutes. You don't have to make it long. Um, another way you could do that, uh, use your five minutes is through like visualization, like practicing, um, you know, that where is where it could become more specific. Like if I'm fearing like, I've got this race coming up and I don't think I'm going to be able to complete it. Like visualizing me, like completing the race and feeling okay, or navigating a difficult part of the race. Hmm. I think those two things are really the things that I would spend the most time on because um, they uh, are working on those neural pathways, like in a very specific way. Hmm. I love that. Me too. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, and I think we were talking about last week too in confidence episode, but like, you don't need something to be like overly complicated. Like if you're not, if, if it's too complicated, you're not going to do it. So you need something that's super simple, super quick that you can integrate in everyday life. Because if it's going to take an hour, a lot of us don't have an hour because we're spending that hour running or <laughs> right dealing with kids or doing something, um, I like that it's like short and sweet. Yeah. Or another really great thing is I think sometimes too, you just become so overwhelmed, like in the moment that it, you're like, I don't have the like brain power. And especially now that I'm a mom, sometimes like, I don't have the brain power to like think about these things, but you can also go ahead and write statements out, like reframes, like, okay, I know like the thought I've been having recently is like, I'm just not, I'm 
I feel like I'm failing because I'm not getting up and running at 6 a.m., like, which is how I feel right now, right? And so I know that I tell myself that often. So I just need to go ahead and reframe that to like, hey, sometimes you're able to do that and other times you're not because it's really hard, but you're still doing hard things and that's enough, right? And write that on a note card and keep it on my fridge or somewhere that I see and just to read that when that feeling comes up. And so then I have already done like, the mental work of like reframing it. And I it just need to read it, grab it and read it. I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Love I know, that. especially yeah. in the, these mom crazy days where, I mean, you have a five month old, I mean, it is not easy. And, and when you're not sleeping in the same way that you're, you've always been used to sleeping, you cannot always wake up like when you want to, to run, it's just your priorities have to shift a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Well, and even if you were like, as your thoughts come up like that and you're like, okay, hey, I don't have time to reframe that now, but maybe I can do that tonight hmm. or something like you write down what your thoughts are and you can write out those little cards later when you do have some time. And then when the thoughts come back up, you have everything written. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like and I love that you said that too, because there is so much research and just the idea that just writing it down, the connection of writing it takes it out of our head. So we stop dwelling, mm. even if you didn't reframe it in that moment. Mm, I like that. I knew too. Writing, writing for me is like so cathartic. It's very, I mean, I've always, I've had a journal since I was you know, 10, 12, I don't know, just, I I mean, it's like how you, like I process life. So like, that is totally something I think I could do is just write (laughs) what I'm feeling and yeah, not dwell. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. With like younger kids, I even have them just like write it and throw it away. (laughs) Like as that like mental act of like, (sighs) it's done, it's gone. Like, that's not true. I took it out of my head and it's over. That's so cool. How young of kids do you work with? Um, It really depends. I work with athletes. And then because I am trained in eating disorders, especially, I will work with some younger kids that are eating disorder issues. Um, And so the youngest that I see will typically be eight to 10, but it's more based on um, their ability to do like activity therapy and not like play therapy because I'm not trained as a play therapist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so like helpful, you know, that, I mean, especially to help a kid so early in life, you know, and like set them up to have skills. I mean, don't we all wish we could have had those kind of skills from, you know, early on in life, maybe it could have, I don't know, set us up for like more, more success and less mental, um, uh, you know, down low points, I guess. Yeah. I think that I wish skills like that were taught in schools mm-hmm. for sure. Well, even just like the brain of a kid is more able to absorb some of that stuff than an adult. So if you, you know, teach it earlier, it'll be less as they get bigger. Um, okay. So switching gears here a little bit. So I saw an article that you contributed to, um, and it was about running or exercise dependence. Yes. And you had said in there, you feel com- 
conflicted between spending four hours in the mountains or four hours with your family, but you choose the mountains every time, not because you want to, but you feel like you have to in order to avoid the emotional distress, not choosing them would cause. And I, I come from a background that has some dependent or addictive personalities, um, alcoholism and stuff. And I always joke that like, I have an addictive personality and running is just what I'm addicted to, but some people can go too far on that. And I just wanted to get some of your opinion on like, how do you start to get past some of this exercise dependency? Because you said it's often glorified right now to be addicted to exercise or running. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's so hard because it's also so individualized and, and you really have to be able to get down to people's motives, right? Because especially when it comes to distance running, that there is this component, like you do have to spend a lot of time. Um, and so it really gets down to like, why am I doing it? Like if I, if I don't do it, what happens? Um, and for people who do are destroyed are struggling with exercise dependence, it really starts to come down to like, what is your motivation? And like, why do you feel like you need to do that? Um, and so for a lot of people, like it becomes something as a, a, a way of coping, right? And so something in their life and exercise can be a very healthy coping mechanism. It just shouldn't be your only coping mechanism. And I I think for people with exercise dependence, it becomes their only coping mechanism and um, it becomes like an escape. And so a lot of it is very similar to how we would treat any type of like addictive behavior, which is um, learning how to like break it up, learning how to find new ways to cope with whatever I'm feeling and identifying new patterns, you know, like, and so how I would go about that with somebody who was struggling with exercise dependence is so I'm very, I'm very laid back as a therapist. Um, and so I, especially after working in eating disorder clinics where I saw lots of exercise dependence and saw where sometimes the treatment is, can just be what I feel like is so harsh, which is like, you're done. You're not allowed to do it at all. Like, don't do it. Right. Which when you take away somebody's coping mechanism like that, like it just causes, I feel like so much, so many more problems. And so usually I'll start out with the question of more like, well, what do you think you can manage and how like to reduce by, like, do you think it's just 10 minutes a day? Do you think it's just 10 once a week? Like, let's do that. And let's journal about and talk about what you experienced doing that. Um, and kind of gradually start to replace those things. Right. And then also look for like looking for other ways instead of running like that much, could we call a friend? Like, how did that go when we tried that? And then really identifying those underlying causes. I don't think you're laid back. I think you're like empathetic or <laughs> like, <laughs> like you really look at like every aspect. It's not just like that one thing, like you're running dependent. So we're going to take away running so that you have things, you know, you're just more caring about the whole person. I think. Thank you. <laughs> it's easy. I guess I'm, I, part of the reason I say I'm laid back is too, is because, you know, if people don't do things that I ask them to do and like, just 
like if they didn't do that, right? Like I'm not like, I'm just kind of like, okay, you didn't do it. Like, do you want, let's try again this week. Like, and just, yeah, just trying to, I think because of my past, like with an eating disorder, with exercise addiction, with so many of those things, like, I just know that I just needed a lot of compassion Mm -hmm. and with perfectionism, like knowing and like fearing failure, like wanting to be okay. Like that, Hey, it's okay. If you fail at that, like, that's fine. Like, we'll just try it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause that could be, um, it's like when the healing process is feels starts feeling like a test, if you're doing it, you know, if you're winning or losing and that is super overwhelming too. And so then it's like, how are you supposed to keep on the healing process? If there's too much, um, like solid lines, I guess around. Yeah. And then also like honesty, because when people do feel like it's that kind of test, then they start not being honest Mm. and that doesn't get anybody like anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And can I ask you like how, how you, um, healed from your eating disorder or if you still struggle or, you know, kind of where you're at and, and how you came to be here? Yeah. I mean, it was a very gradual process for me. Um, and really it was like, I did, I just, at one point had a realization like, Hey, I'm, I'm very, very sick. And, um, it, it was in 2009 and like eating disorder treatment and recovery wasn't as I would say like in the, as widely accepted as it is now. And so I just didn't have a lot of support or help about it. And I just came to the realization, like after a run one day where I really thought like I was going to have a heart attack and die, like I just remember thinking like coming home and then like weighing myself and being mad that I weighed a certain amount and being like, just the light bulb going off in my head, like, this is not okay. <laughs> like, and also like, I'm not okay. And thankfully just through, I feel like a lot of, um, just like, I, like I see it as just as God's grace. Like I just had a lot of people who were not people who were regularly in my life come into my life and give me a lot of support that I needed. And it was a very long healing process. And I think for me, it was a very much of like, I just kept having to see like what I was doing wasn't working. Um, And as somebody who is like, or had been an overachiever and had had a lot of success at a lot of things, um, it was really hard to keep experiencing failure and to see like, but to also being able to put together the components of like, yeah, but like, it's because what you're doing is like not working. (laughs) Um, And so I've been recovered now for a while. I did end up going to counseling for a while, um, for about a year. And that was really helpful. It was was outpatient counseling. And I worked short term with a dietitian as well. And really like for me, it's been a lot about community and like my faith and, um, yeah. And just really staying accountable and being honest. Like I have a friend that I've known from the beginning of that recovery time. And, you know, probably like once a month, we don't see each other as regularly, but like when we see each other or like once a month, she'll send me a message and just be like, how's food? Like, and she's still 10 years later, like ask that, you know? 
Um, and so inviting people in my life to ask me hard questions and like being honest with them that sometimes I'm going to be mad that you asked me that. But mm-hmm. I think for me, it's just not keeping it a secret, like that I've struggled with that and inviting people to call me out on like, if they see any inconsistencies with what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so now, and I think also making changes, like just being able to set my own boundaries in my life. So knowing like, Hey, a gym membership was a continual stumbling block for me. So I don't have a gym membership. Mm-hmm. I think I could have one and be just fine, but I just don't need that temptation in my life. Like I just don't want it. Um, also, um, being able to say like, I would really like to run another, like really fast half marathon, but I know with road racing, like, and this is part of the reason I switched to trails. Like there is something about like road racing and track racing to me that at a certain point, it just feels like my brain switches and it's very, very difficult for me to not fall back into old behaviors mm-hmm. and so trail running. I, I, I almost feel like it's like the repetitiveness of road running. Like it's very like methodical and, um, trail running provides just kind of that breakup in that, that really does seem to disrupt some process in my brain. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. Get that, I get that road running is, um, like, obviously there's different terrain, like hills and stuff on roads, just like there are on trails. But for the most part, it's like, you know, that this is the pace that you should be going, or this is how long it should take you to run three miles where on a trail, you don't know that, like, maybe you've run the same trail a hundred times, but this day it was super muddy or, you know, there's different aspects to it that roads just don't have. And it, Mm -hmm. it makes you a little bit less hard on yourself. If you're having a tough day, yes, you just have to more like go with the flow. That's kind of what I love about trail running and ultras and and just like different races and stuff. It's like, you have no idea what you're going to find on the day (laughs) and we're just part of the fun. So talking about like training on roads and on trails, um, again, another article that you either wrote or contributed to about stress. Actually, maybe it wasn't an article. I think you posted on Instagram about stress. Oh, I think I I did write an article. Yes. Oh, did you? Okay. Okay. You just, you have so much to comb through that we're like trying to find stuff. You're very active. It's awesome. Um, but you were talking about how like physical and mental strength, stress affects us and our training. So can you just touch on that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Like our bodies are just, or they're wired to experience stress in the same way, right? Like, um, it's very much, uh, why we have the fight, flight, or freeze response in our brains. Um, it's to keep us safe. And so it doesn't necessarily matter if it's a physical stress or if it's emotional or mental stress, like our body, taps into that we're stressed and that it needs to do something. And so it responds with one of those three responses, which also produces like cortisol. It produces all like the bodily functions that go along with like safety. So like increased heart rate, like awareness. Uh, And so it's interesting because people often don't think about like that me mentally being stressed, like is producing that in your body. And I think it's because it's very easy to be like, oh, I just ran 10 miles and like, now I feel fatigued. Right. And I feel like, and I can experience that in a way that I 
can definitely feel when, but when we're talking about stress and that body's response to it with emotional stress, maybe that means like my heart rate is up like five or 10 beats or however many beats differently than it normally would be. And I might not be feeling that, or a lot of people are also sometimes disengaged from those from their body and those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but your body and your hormone system is all is experiencing them in the same way. And it's impacting it in the same way, like on a physiological level. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like a mom being on all the time. It's yes. the same stress. So when it's hard because your kids aren't sleeping and you're constantly worried about food or what, everything about raising kids, that is affecting how you are training. It's yes. not just, yeah. Ugh, yes. Because know. we all have, you know, and I think I referred to that like as a stress bucket. And I think that's a very common concept that people talk about. Like we all have one stress bucket. Everybody's buckets, a different size. Like my husband has a really large bucket <laughs> compared to mine. I feel like, <laughs> and anything that causes a stress, whether that's good stress or like or bad stress, you know, like, and like reminding ourselves that stress is like, Hey, you know, I really enjoy running, but that is a stress, like to plan that out, to make time to go do it. And like knowing that all that goes into that one bucket. And at some point something has to give because we all also have a ceiling to that bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Huh. So, um, what's kind of an example of like how your husband has a really big bucket and you have a smaller bucket. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think he's able to, I would say take on more tasks than I am. Um, or like, if it comes to like therapy, like I know like, okay, this is my limit of clients that I can see with also, which is taking a lot of trial and error with also the distribution of like, what are they primarily coming in for? Um, so I, for a while I had like my whole caseload as eating disorders are like, you know, and like realizing, oh, that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, you know, where I might be able to see X amount of clients, he can see this many clients before he starts to feel like the stresses of that, like on a mental level and feeling like, okay, I'm breaking down. Okay. He's a counselor too. He is. Yeah. My husband's a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Hmm. That's cool. That's neat that you're both kind of in this world. Is he like, does he also do like the sports stuff or no? no, he is mostly a marriage and family therapist counselor. Okay. Yeah. What's it like being a therapist and also being married to one? And with like, what's your house like? (laughs) Arguments are very short, (laughs) and uh, communication is very, I would say, a lot more straightforward. And uh, and it's hit or miss whether people really like to have dinner with us or not. So I love that. <laughs> you might get all of your like secrets laid bare. Like you might just be really, uh, yeah. Talking about like all the nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. In your house, <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> awesome. Um, I was, I was kind of wondering one of the, um, ways you describe yourself I've seen on Instagram and your website is you call yourself a joy seeker. And I was wondering what that means to you and 
how do you find the joy and how do you encourage clients to find the joy? Yeah. So I think for me, that definitely means choosing what I focus on. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm just choosing things that are happy. Like I really believe like happiness and joy are very different things. Um, that joy to me isn't circumstantial. It's something that's deeper than that. And so really, I think another great word would be like gratitude. So really practicing gratitude, really practicing like trying not to allow negative circumstances to become just like all consuming to me and like looking at them as ways to grow and looking at, um, you know, other people and like saying like, yeah, because as a counselor, you know, like it can be hard sometimes to like, to not that you're like trying to counsel everybody, but like to be around people and to be like, yeah, like, you know, you keep doing these negative things and I understand why you're doing them, but like, it's like, you know, but like really trying to focus more on like, what does this person have to offer? Like, what are they doing? Like, how can I encourage other people? How can I love people? How can I um, just bring something different to the people in the world around me? And so I really try to practice doing that. You know, it might be like just having a conversation with somebody at the grocery store, um, encouraging people and really trying to look at my life and say, there's something good that I can always find, and even if it doesn't seem good. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so good. I mean, just because, yeah, it, it's kind of, it gets you out of like that, that narrow picture, kind of like you were saying stuff with like weather and climate, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the, like the moment might kind of suck, but there is good, <laughs> you know, that you can see. Oh, that's neat. Um, I was going to ask you a little bit about your motherhood so far, Yeah, you know, because that's another thing that's bringing us all together today. Like how has motherhood been for you in these last five months? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been definitely a journey. So like we were talking about earlier, Caleb's on today and he's pretty vocal because he's teething right now. So it's his first two little teeth and that's been interesting the past like week or so like with the teething because he's definitely a little sadder than he normally is he's usually not he's usually like really a happy smiley baby so that's mm-hmm. I'm like oh. where'd you go <laughs> I know I'm like he's just sad you know and you feel like helpless because there's only so much you can do mm-hmm. but motherhood has been definitely like a journey like I, I up until a few years ago I hadn't ever wanted to be a mom and so um then becoming a mom, like there was a little, there was some birth trauma. And so that was really, really difficult. It started out like with him coming home and me really struggling with that trauma. But then like at the same time, like you're trying to raise a baby, you know? And, the, um, and so those first like six to eight weeks were very, very difficult for me. Um, and at the time too, like, so my husband's a counselor, like we talked about as well. And counseling kind of has a, uh, ups and downs. So him and I both own our own businesses. So he also, it was the season where it's like very busy. So he was needing to work a lot because, you know, like we just know like the low was coming um, and I wasn't working. And so when you own your own businesses, like, it's not like you got paid vacation time. Um, And so those first couple of months were very, very hard for me. Um, And since then, I feel like 
it's been easier and Caleb is such like a joy and he's such a sweet baby and I really loved it but it's also been difficult to figure out like how do I wear the hat of mom and business owner like runner like how do I do all of these things and I I'm still trying to figure that out <laughs> so hard TBD yeah <laughs> you know well yeah, we're all doing the best we can like day by day. And it changes because the stages and phases change too. Right. Especially yeah. that first year. Like there yeah. are so many changes that first year. I'm yeah. just like, what, what now? What is it now? Like, oh, you're happy today. Okay. Like what's the next week going to bring? Like, it's just, it constantly changes. Yeah. What, what kind of, um, do you mind me asking what kind of birth trauma you had? No, no. So, okay. So we, um, use like midwives in a birthing center. And, um, so I had him on a Friday afternoon, but I had been in like, like off and on labor since the Saturday before. And, um, so on that Thursday, I was finally like, okay, this is like, can this, it keeps continuing. And so, I was like at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. And so by 11 o'clock, I was like, okay, we should go to the birth center. And so at first, like we called the birth center and um, they have just had an influx of people because of COVID. And so they actually were full. They didn't have any space. So they asked me to labor at home, which I was like, okay, that's okay. I can stay home. So I stayed home till 4 a.m. And then we went and I was just progressing very slow Um, but I have an abnormally low pubic bone and Caleb had dropped at 27 weeks. And so I was having really intense, they were two minutes apart. Like they were lasting almost two minutes and there was so much pressure because he was so low already. And so we got there and I was there for 12 hours before I had him. Like I was in labor for 24 hours. Um, but, and it was all perfect. And then as soon as I started pushing his heart rate bottomed out. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the bathtub, they had me get out of the tub and get onto the bed. And it just kept dropping like really quickly. Um, and so they, uh, one of the midwives went to get the oxygen to see if that would bring it up. And they had like came and cleaned the birth center. So they put away the oxygen. So she couldn't find it. Um, and then in the middle of that too, they weren't able to find his heartbeat anymore. Oh uh, and so like with all of that, there was some, there was a lot of miscommunication and there was a lot of like panic that was happening. Um, <clears throat> so one of my midwives was try- like her and my husband were actually like manually, like trying to like assist me, like pulling me apart to deliver him. And they were telling me like, he's got to come out like right now, like you've got to just push him out. And at that point, like I knew they hadn't heard his heartbeat again. And um, there was some miscommunication about that they had about the oxygen. And I thought they said, ask if they should call it like that he was dead. Oh my um, God. And so I, they were telling me he's got to come out right then. And his head was coming out and um, my contraction was ending. And like at that point, like I thought he was like, I thought I was pushing out a stillborn baby. Oh, um, and I just remember being like praying and being like, just kept pushing past the end of my contraction and his head came out. You know, the cord, it wasn't actually wrapped tightly around his neck. It was very loose, um, but he had the cord around his neck. And when his head did come out, she manually pulled him out by the head and unwrapped the cord. And he was gray and he was blue. 
And, but as soon as they handed him to me, like he cried and he scored a perfect APGAR score, like almost immediately. And he was fine, but it, you know, it was so traumatizing. And I ended up, she ended up breaking my tailbone, like in the process. And so that just set up those first couple of months to be very, very difficult. And I felt very alone in it because I was trying to explain it to people of like, you know, like I knew this baby, like I grew him and then I thought he was dead for five minutes and then I have a baby and he's not. Yeah. But it felt very difficult because it felt like I kept getting uh, responses like, well, at least he's fine and he's healthy and you saved his life. Like my midwife did tell me I saved his life. And like, those just weren't helpful responses. But I also felt like I couldn't relate to the people who had lost babies and I couldn't relate to the people who'd had healthy births. And so it felt like a very, or like people who'd had babies that, you know, spent a lot of time in the ICU or like were severely sick because my baby was totally fine, Mm -hmm. but it felt very lonely and very like isolating. Yeah. You're like in between two camps and you don't know which, where you belong and, but you have a lot of feelings. Gosh, I mean, that would be so scary. So scary. Yeah. Well, and even, oh, it actually sounds a lot like my sister. I think I've talked about that. She, her son, um, they lost his heartbeat too. And they did an emergency C-section and she didn't have any pain medication because she was trying to do natural. And so they just like cut her open with nothing. And so she had PTSD from that. And I was I didn't know anything that had happened. And so when I called her, I'm like, aren't you so excited? And she was just like blank. Like she couldn't talk. She couldn't do anything. And then going back, I'm like, I'm so sorry that I was like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like trying to be like so excited, but then I didn't know that any of this stuff had happened. And I had just had my first, um, three months before she had her first. Um, but it's hard when people are trying to, you know, basically tell you it's going to be fine or it's, it's okay. Like you have this, I had a perfectly fine birth, perfectly fine pregnancy. And I had postpartum depression with our second. And I mean, it, there's no reason for that either. And I was still crying constantly for like eight weeks. Yeah. And it's so hard to talk to people who haven't gone through something like that, let alone something that like you've gone through and feeling like, you know, you thought your baby was dead for five minutes. I mean, I couldn't, could not imagine. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh, that breaks my heart. Well, and then it's like, oh, you should feel happy. Right. And I felt guilty for not feeling happy. Yeah. I also felt immediately like the mom guilt of like I did something wrong to cause that Mm. like it was some some failure on my part that that even happened in the first place Mm. yeah and it was very hard to connect with him and so because I was so scared of connecting with him and losing him again or feeling Mm. like I was losing him again and so I just felt like so much like guilt and like people were you, you know like they weren't trying to be hurtful like they people just don't know what to say and that's a lot for people to process and handle and 
so it was also, I think I got a lot of, well, this is just baby blues and, you know, aren't you so excited and aren't you so happy? And, and it felt very difficult to experience that. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you, like, how did you, um, get through those, those first really hard weeks and months? Yeah. So like talking with some friends that I had and talking with my husband, like journaling about it. I think another thing that I did was like, I have access to my medical charts and like, and like, I just kind of read through it, like when I was ready and just kind of like reminded myself, like you didn't do anything wrong. Like you, you're not, you're not, cause I felt like, am I blowing this out of proportion? Like, uh, you know, and like, you just have like the stats there that was like, no, like this did happen. And it was hard. And um, my midwives were also really great. They did like really phenomenal. I would say like aftercare in the sense of they had me in for a lot of appointments, <laughs> um, to just to constantly be checking in, you know, they went over it over and over again with me and like reminded me he's fine. Like, you know, talked with me about, yes, it was scary. And, uh, I, yeah. And so it's support from different people in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I think, I mean, we're kind of talking about that a lot, just in general, moms need more checkup care, no matter how the birth was, you know, I mean, we just need like, there's just not that support, like in our healthcare system in general. Um, you know, you get one, uh, six week checkup and you're like cleared for everything and you should be fine. And like, even though hardly anything's really checked and, um, yeah, I mean, that's really good. You had the tools to, you know, kind of get yourself through that, you know, and do what you needed to do. Um, I also did journal about the experience and it was also anytime that I started to think about it, like I let myself think about it and cry about it and to acknowledge that it was really hard Mm -hmm. and that I didn't have to feel okay about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Give yourself some grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was the, um, recovery like for the tailbone also and then you're also postpartum I mean that sounds really hard in in and of itself yeah it was so difficult because they they had thought that it was just probably bruised and they're like oh it'll start feeling better like you know in a a week or two weeks but it was so painful to sit to stand to lay down and so I was like constantly trying to change positions and try to feed him and he was having trouble like nursing for like various reasons. And so we had like all these appointments for that. And it was so difficult because I would say like, it stayed almost at the same pain level where sitting was extremely painful till about six weeks. Oh my gosh! And then like, still I had like gradual pain, but was bad. Like it was a lot better, especially if I was moving around until about eight to 10 weeks. Oh my gosh, that is so long. And you have a baby you're taking care of and you're taking care of yourself. Right. And nursing was so hard because I was trying to sit to nurse him and like I did lay down some, but that was very, very difficult because it was just so painful for me to do that. Wow. Oh, that's really intense. You know, because I think even just from normal birth what your body goes through, then, you know, you're always like, 
it is a very raw, tender experience. Like to also have excruciating pain when you're, when you just need to sit down because you're also exhausted. Like, gosh, you are strong. You're strong. (laughs) I mean, I felt like that pain was worse than the labor pain, like by far, like it, like labor to me, like it was painful, but it felt very manageable. And that pain was like almost unmanageable. You're like, I had my baby. Where's the relief? (laughs) Exactly. Gosh. Oh man. And how's your body these days? How are you feeling now? Yeah, I feel good now. I feel like there's still just, I'm still rebuilding strength. And, you know, like there's so many things that I've realized, like I get a lot more niggles running than I ever have before. And I think, you know, like I'm still breastfeeding a little bit. And so that that definitely probably contributes to some of it and then just not getting as much sleep. And so it's interesting because I feel like I have it feels a little bit more fragile than it's felt before in the past. But other than that, like I don't have pain or anything like that. So that's been really nice. Have you been enjoying running? I have for the most part, I think it's been hard because I didn't know what to expect. And I ran through my whole pregnancy. And so I kind of just expected like, Oh yeah, like it'll be no big deal. Right. And even when I started running, cause I did start running about six or seven weeks or seven weeks, I guess. Um, the tailbone pain that I had was like very dull at that point and moving really actually made it feel a lot better. Um, and so I was just like run walking and I was, had been released to do so, but, um, like, I don't, I think I just had a lot of like enthusiasm at the beginning. (laughs) And then like, at some point it's like, oh, the sleep deprivation and taking care of a baby all day long has start, like, started to catch up to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely been harder. Like I'm, I'm enjoying it when I go, but it's harder to be consistent. And so I think that's where like the mental aspect of like not being hard on myself comes in because then I get upset that I'm not where I thought I should be. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. It makes it not fun. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of what we were saying about like all this life stress you know, affecting just what you can do on a day-to-day basis. And it is so hard when you, you just aren't like that consistent runner that you've always been. You've right. always, it's, you've never had any issues really struggling with like motivation or yeah, just getting out the door every day. It gets a lot harder to get out the door when you have a baby. Yeah. And just trying to figure out like what gives, I guess, cause my husband will work, he works pretty long hours. Like when it's the busier time of year for counseling. And so I'm home like all day. And then like, he doesn't get home till late because most people can go to counseling like in the evening after work, you know? And so then it's like, well, we, I want to see him, but then I'm going to be up all night. Right. And then it's like, Oh, like, do I get up early to run? Like, is that long-term going to help me? Or is it going to like help me more to sleep? And if I don't want to go push the stroller running later, like, is that a better idea (laughs) than getting up, you know? And up until just like, the last week here in Texas, it was still like, you know, a hundred degrees plus outside. So it was like that middle of the day running wasn't super possible. Yeah. 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 Oh my yeah that's such a balance. Yeah. And can I ask you why, what are the busy times for counseling and why is that? Yeah. So it really fluctuates. So usually early summer is really busy. Um, people just have more time during the summer. And then it will 
taper off around August um, because school's starting back up and then it'll pick back up again um, like September, October when basically people like school routines have been established, like school can bring up a lot of stressors, both for kids, parents, like young adults in college, like all kinds of stuff. So it'll pick up then, then it'll taper off around the holidays when people are busy. And then after the holidays, it'll pick back up in January after people have been home and somebody's pointed out like, Oh, like you seem to be really struggling or families have brought on stress Mm -hmm. and it will really maintain, um, where it's at really up until like May when the end of school is coming. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Even when you don't see kids, like your schedule is like really dictated by the school year, like for young adults and for adults. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to know, like see society's um, changes. Yeah. Yeah. Mental health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Well, um, do you have like any, um, races that you're hoping to do kind of going back to the running? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping to to do, because I've only ever done one trail race. So I had done one two years ago in November, I'd done a 30 K and then I'd gotten injured and then COVID happened. And so, and then I was pregnant. Um, and so I'm planning to do that same race, just the 15 K distance in November. And we've got a in the area I live in, they've got quite a few like local trail races that they've started. And so I'm planning to just kind of focus on them for the here in the fall. And then hopefully in the spring, I'm thinking about doing one bigger one. So like maybe Bandera or Rocky Raccoon and still going like sub ultra distance, like, um, for, yeah. And so that's kind of the plans right now. So racing season here in Texas is, starting now and we'll go to like April and then like the summer they usually don't have any races it was too hot it's too hot oh gosh yeah yeah that'd be tough Mm -hmm. yeah well that's awesome that's so cool yeah I mean that'll feel really good to get back out there you know even for short ones and that can be just nice like manageable you know yes Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's what I I wanted to do something like because I had originally wanted to do my first ultra when I turned 30 last year, which they, I was pregnant, so it didn't happen, but also just like looking realistically, I'm like, I just don't have the bandwidth right now to train for that. And so I want to focus on something that I do have the time to train for and that I can enjoy instead of being like, a feeling like a slog constantly. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Another totally. thing on your to-do list. Yeah. Seems perfect. Okay. Well, we should really, um, let you get back to life. And I know Steph, I think, are you still holding Henry? Is he asleep? Yeah. So, um, we should get back to our, our days being moms, um, real quick before we let you go, we've got two or maybe three rapid fire questions, and then we'll let you go. Um, Okay. So what is your favorite thing to do for self-care besides running? It's definitely art. Okay. Yeah. What is your funniest moment of motherhood so far? Oh, that's hard. Um, probably. 
I don't know. Probably just that, like, I find chocolate in my baby's hair a lot because I'm eating chocolate while I'm holding it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> chocolate is life. It so- is. <laughs> Okay. And what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Um, Recently it's been coffee Mm. (laughs) and that's you because I did not drink coffee before I had a baby. Oh Oh, gosh. Lifeline. I'm really glad you found each other. (laughs) I I feel like I only have time for one cup. So I brew it like really strong. My dad was over and he was like, Haley, I cannot drink this. (laughs) Well, oh, I love that. That's how I feel because my dad always makes coffee like super weak. And I'm like, yeah. dad, I need more than this. <laughs> you need to be able to taste it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> awesome. That's so well, funny. Haley, it's been so, mm-hmm. such a pleasure talking to you. You're lovely. And I just thank you so much for everything you've given us and the listeners today. It's super helpful and really really impactful, like little things that we could do to find our joy and to kind of reframe our mindsets when they attack us. (laughs) Thank you guys so much, not just for having me on for, but for having this podcast, like even before you asked me to be on, like I'd listened to some episodes and just found those honesty and your guests to be so encouraging and definitely a bright spot, like in what can feel like very lonely at mm-hmm. times. And so I'm just so grateful for you guys doing this and for, yeah, for your authenticity and doing it. You're so oh. sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Thank That's you, really Haley. nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Oh, I loved talking with Haley. She is really like a breath of fresh air for me. I don't know. I just loved hearing how she got to where she is today and, and kind of, I don't know. I just love like how her life has come together and how she's always been kind of like this compassionate, um, person that's trying to create like a more positive, like healthy environment around her, around her teammates, around athletes in general. I mean, we all know we have to get away from like this toxic culture that can be really prevalent, especially in like collegiate sports. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I'm proud of like the work she did to, um, you know, heal from her eating disorder and, And just all the things that she works with, with people and the mind and how powerful the mind is. It's just, it's amazing. I love this stuff. I love this stuff. And I'm so thankful that she shared it with us today. I really appreciated how open and honest she was and that she like connected these pieces together and kind of made this, um, sports psychologist thing, a reality. And she, all these little like moments in her life, like she missed a class. And so now it's this, like, I just liked how everything kind of fell in place. And now here she is and she's a beautiful human being. And I'm so happy that we got to talk to her today. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel too. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. I would definitely encourage you all to go check out Haley's website, which is grapevinewellnesscenter.com. We'll have that link in the show notes, um, as well as the link to her Instagram, which is full of so many useful 
tips for just how we can just like little ways we can reset, um, our mindset in sport and life and motherhood. Mm -hmm. And so definitely look out for those links in the show notes. And also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast rate and review that helps us out a lot. You can also subscribe to Treeline Journal's newsletter at treelinejournal.com. And we'll send out one email a week with the latest articles and episodes to your inbox. And you can follow us on Instagram at runhardmomhardpod. You can email us at runhardmomhard at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voice message using the anchor link in the show notes below. Don't forget to go to the link in the show notes for Treeline Coffee to get our Run Hard Mom Hard blend. You got this and use code RUNHARD10 for 10% off. Yes. We hope you're all well out there enjoying this beautiful fall weather. Hopefully it's beautiful where you are. And don't forget that you got this. My days are so messed up. I don't know what day it is. Like, I know if it's a school day or it's not a school day. Like that's pretty much it. They, it was about a dad, like going off on a trip or something for the weekend. But like even Aaron working, like I'm working too. Uh the days that you're working when Uh you're not home. Yeah. And it's like constant, constant work. Like just as draining as it is for you to wake up and go to work just as draining to be home and be the sole parent. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then, and then they get home and you're still on and still society's standards count it as less. I know if you're able to be home with your kids, like that's, you're lucky you're, it's less than, you know, Mm -hmm. I know, but it's still really hard. It is hard. And you see everything you have to do constantly. You can't do any of it. I know. I know. I'm sorry that you're stressed. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's okay. No, it's not okay. I mean, it's it's normalized, but it's not okay. Yeah. Do you know what I'm? Do you know what part I'm talking really about? Remember what I said? Oh, okay. I have no recollection. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> but oh, do you remember what we said? Not word for word. Yeah. Um. Cut this out. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that's it for me. No, but yeah, I think that's it for me. (laughs) One more time. You should definitely listen to this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't even know. Like, you know, it's like I say something and then it's gone and I don't even know what I said. I did it in front of Aaron like that night and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I am cheering for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Got the kids to bed. High five. (laughs) I love the mind. I love it. (laughs) I really appreciate how appreciated appreciate appreciate